Tonight we're going to talk about um, a topic that I don't think we spend enough time discussing in the church. I know I don't spend enough time practicing this, and that's repentance. And repentance and confession, uh, humility, I believe, go hand in hand. Am I too loud? Do you have me too loud? Okay. Okay. (laughs) Repentance, confession, humility, I think go hand in hand. And uh, for a long time, I've I've asked God to equip me, give me humility. Um, Oftentimes, it's hard to know if this is uh, what I would probably call a false humility, something, a desire to look humble, but not really be humble. And uh, the idea of being humble, I think, starts with my walk with God, not only coming underneath him, but the willingness and the desire to confess my sin to him, confess my sin, repent of my sin before him. And so if I am not regularly practicing confession before God, there's a very small chance that I will truly be humble before man. And so with repentance, I think, comes, uh, honestly, a topic that I think Satan uses to be honest with you, because I see the close line that it dances with really a false guilt and a condemnation and things like this. And so I'm going to pray for us that that God's truth would, would be very clear and uh, pray for myself and pray for you guys that as we talk about repentance, there's certainly uh, God would keep at bay anything that the enemy would like to do to to pour shame and condemnation on you. So if you would join me. Father, we come before you, and uh, we're desperate for you. We're uh, trusting that your Spirit will grant us understanding, trusting that your Spirit will speak through me, thinking that we, you are the God who the whole world bends to your will. And here we are um, seeking you, and you pay attention to us, that you care that we're here, that you delight in each of us. And so I do pray that you would bring revelation of yourself, bring yourself glory, give us a deeper understanding of your great love and your great mercy upon our lives. And we do pray for true humility, that we would put ourselves in a proper posture before uh, an almighty God and recognize in doing that you lift us up. Amen. Well, if mo- some of you who know me well won't be surprised about some things that I share tonight, but if you've only seen me um, preaching with a sport coat on, uh, you you may be surprised. I may, well, maybe I'll lose your respect. I don't know. Um, I don't. That's that's okay. I'm I'm not. That's not too big of a deal to me. But it might be when I leave here and I actually communicate all of my junk, then I'll be like reeling back. But right now I'm feeling bold. So here we go. Um, repentance. Here's a couple Old Testament words. Hebrew word is nokum, and basically it means sorrow, and it is only used a few times. Another Hebrew word uh, that's in line with repentance is shuba, and that means retirement or withdrawal. So some interesting Hebrew words that I wouldn't have necessarily tied to repentance when I'm thinking of retiring, withdrawing, um, or sorrow. Uh, the Greek word that you find in the New Testament Metanoia is a little bit more similar to what I'm used to. It means change of mind. Not only change of mind, but change in the inner man. And I want to read you guys 
little something. The, the wording is interesting. We may go back to it because I had to read it like three times, and it was like, that sounds good, uh, but I'm not totally sure what it means. And so give this a shot. Repentance, the change of mind of those who have begun to abhor their errors and misdeeds and have determined to enter upon a better course of life so that it embraces both a recognition of sin and sorrow for it and hearty amendment, the tokens and effects of which are good deeds. So there's a lot in there that we're going to try to unpack as we go. Well, I want to start a little bit again because I think when we first think about repentance, we first think about confession and this whole process, um, there's a few things that really jump out at me. What repentance is not is condemnation. And this is the infamous Romans 8.1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So repentance is not condemnation and repentance is not shame. So I would say, and we'll build on this, conviction, not condemnation, ashamed for what I have done, but not shame. Romans 10.11 says, Everyone who believes in Christ will not be put to shame. Again, in Isaiah 61, 6, But you shall be called the priests of God. They shall speak of you as the ministers of God. Instead of your shame, there shall be a double portion. Instead of dishonor, they shall rejoice in their lot. They shall have everlasting life. So we're going to bounce to various scriptures throughout tonight. And again, when we're reading scripture, let's turn our hearts to God, recognizing that's, that's his word to us. Uh, that's us approaching God. And so recognizing, one, when we're talking about repentance, that means there's sin present. There's no need to repent if there's no sin present. And when there's sin present, it's very, very easy to do a couple things, I think. One, we just ignore it. We have this feeling, this, I would say, conviction, and we busy ourselves, or we turn the other way, or we uh, distract and so there's, we're, we're afraid to look it in the face. We're afraid to call it what it is. We say, oh, I made a mistake, but here's what she did. Um, it's, it's uncanny how many times when I'm in an office counseling with someone, uh, they will unpack their partner's sin as detailed as possible. I hear every single word, and they always say, and I did some things wrong too. So, and, and I mean, it's, it never fails. And so I recognize this in myself. When, when I have sinned, it's, uh, I messed up. Of course, we all know that we mess up. Nobody's perfect. Uh, but when I'm going to judge Trevor, I mean, I'm going to tell you, I don't care what his intention was. This is what he did, right? And I, I, I got my list over. And so as we stop and think about repentance, it has to, we have to go towards our sin. And that can be uh, a dangerous place or a fearful place. And so that's why I want to recognize and acknowledge and call out um, Conviction is very different than condemnation, and to be ashamed of something that I've done is very different to feel shame. I think shame always goes to a, a personified uh, attack, where the enemy all of a sudden doesn't say that you failed, Nick. He says you are a failure. And the more that I see that in my identity, the more that I try to hide. Just like Adam and Eve in the garden, covering up their differences, the shame always has an audience. And so that's why we're always trying to hide. What I think repentance does include is, again, conviction. And basically what I mean by that is it's an awareness that I've done something wrong. Romans 2.4, Or do you show contempt for the riches of God's kindness, forbearance and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? So again, 
everything in us, our flesh wants to run and hide when we've done something wrong. And, we're, and, and Romans says, God's kindness is what leads to repentance. So this also, like every other principle in Scripture, the kindness in the heart of God is what gives me the courage to move towards him, even in the midst of my junk. I think repentance includes a godly sorrow. And this is where it takes a little bit of discernment, a little bit of conversation, and a little bit of introspective to start to recognize the difference between condemnation from the enemy and godly sorrow. Where if I am a child of God, and I recognize that his spirit lives in me, I'm created in his image to manifest him to the world, when I sin, that is very unnatural now. When I sin, that is very unfitting to what is inside me and who I am. And so it ought to produce a godly sorrow and something that I'm not sure we're real familiar with because we've always touched condemnation and then we hate that. Second Corinthians 7, Paul's writing, uh, verse, starting in verse 9, he's writing to the Corinthians and he says, says this, Yet now I, Paul, am happy, not because you were made sorry, but because your sorrow led you to repentance. For you became sorrowful as God intended, and so were not harmed in any way by us. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. See the difference there? Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and no regret, but worldly sorrow brings death. See what this godly sorrow has produced in you, Paul says? What earnesty, what eagerness to clear yourself, what indignation, what alarm, what longing, what concern, what readiness to see justice done. So Paul is ascribing to godly sorrow all of these good characteristics that are in them. In other words, to say, I don't know if those things would have shown up if it weren't for this godly sorrow. So in a sense, you let the sorrow do its work to produce beautiful things. This ashamed for what I have done. I have... um, I have kind of run from this one a lot. Uh, there was a time I, I felt like I don't think we should ever feel ashamed if we're in Christ, and, and I've, I'm, I've changed my mind on that. And I, I believe there is a huge difference between the shame that I can feel verse of who I am versus, again, ashamed for what I have done. This is Jeremiah thirty-one nineteen. After I strayed, I repented. After I came to understand, I beat my breast. I was ashamed and humiliated because I bore the disgrace of my youth. Is not Ephraim, Ephraim is a tribe of Israel, so these are God's people. Is not Ephraim my dear son, the child in whom I delight, God says? Though I often speak against him, I still remember him. Therefore, my heart yearns for him. I have great compassion for him. In other words, a a simple definition for Repentance is basically turning from the direction that you are going and going a different direction. And again, repentance is triggered with my sin. So if I'm moving this way in unrighteousness, repentance simply means acknowledging that, recognizing that, and turning and going the other way. Now, because it's scary, God shows us how there's discomfort and fear and some pain up front, but he promises so much blessing afterwards. And a lot of life is this way, right? Discipline is this way, remembering what you really want. At first, it's going to take some 
willpower and it's going to take some determination. But when you keep your eyes on the prize, you recognize, oh, that's why I'm doing this. And so I think that's what repentance is. So listen to all the things that repentance ushers in. First and foremost, salvation. Ezekiel 18. But if a wicked person turns away from all his sins that he has committed and keeps all my statutes and does what is right and just, he shall surely live. He shall not die. So again, you get this turning. God says, have I any pleasure in the death of the wicked, declares the Lord? No, I would rather that he should turn from his way and live. There's the salvation. There's the blessing. When a wicked person turns away from his wickedness, he has com- what he has committed and does what is right, he shall save his life because he considered and turned away from all his transgressions. He shall surely live. He shall not die. Acts 2.23, Peter's New Testament, Peter replies, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So he starts it off by repent, you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Acts 3.19, Repent therefore and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out. I love this one. That times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. So again, you get this discomfort of facing your sin, looking at it, confessing it, repenting of it. What's going to happen? Times of refreshing, refreshment may come from the presence of the Lord. One more before I get into the dirt. Acts 26.20, I declare that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds worthy of their repentance. So the idea here is there are going to be good deeds that come from repentance. So we're going to have to continue to remember what good comes from this bad, this, this sin. When, when I recognize that, when I keep my eyes on that, and when you practice this, you taste the mercy and the goodness of God in incredible ways. And in ways that I think um, express and put on display His grace more than anything else because it's this beauty that comes from your sin. So here's, here's my situation. Uh, my my flesh pattern or my tendency, um, if you have depression on one and anger on the other side, I way go towards anger uh, to the point where probably every three, four, five months, uh, there's a day that I rage and anger comes over me, whatever the situation is. And if if you if you rage, you can relate to this. If if you don't, you're thinking I'm crazy. I'm describing the Hulk. This is what happens. So something happens, and I start to get angry, and I get riled up, and pretty soon it is full-fledged rage where I have this tension in my chest. I I mean, there's a fire deep inside of me that is getting ready to rip a cavity through me, and it it feels out of control, and it's pretty scary. Um, Here's the situation. Tuesday... I go into work a little later, and I work late. So Tuesday mornings are kind of a freer time for us. And so every other week, we have it scheduled where Sherry's going to get some free time. I'm going to hang out with Brogan, our three-year-old, and she can go uh, do whatever she needs to do, whether it's running errands or prepare for Bible study or whatever. And so, uh, but at the same time, you know, Tuesdays are my only chance to run some errands because otherwise I get maybe Saturday and, you know, businesses are closed. And so I start to possess Tuesdays a little bit as well. And so, you know, it's on my calendar. I kind of live by. And so if Sherry has, she's got an hour and a half. But it's never gone very well, and we still got to figure some of this out. Um, But Tuesdays never work great for either of us. And so last Tuesday... 
Uh, it was Sherry's time to go do whatever she needed to do, and she had some things that she wanted to do, get out of the house. And I saw uh, our printer there that I bought like a couple weeks ago that uh, was still in the box to hook up. And so I thought, oh, well, you know, she's busy doing some projects. I'll just hook this up real quick, and then she can roll. And, uh, of course, the pr setting up of the printer did not take 10, 15 minutes. The quick, easy, you know, setup process was anything but quick and easy. And so loading, loading, loading took forever. 97%, something would happen. Start over. You know, all this stuff. So long story short, um, I'm getting ticked off. And Sherry doesn't feel free to leave because she might need my help or she's not, not going to leave Brogan with uh, <laughs> Psycho down in the basement. <laughs> and so she doesn't feel real free to leave, so she wants to be there and available, and I'm just getting more and more frustrated. And in my mind, usually when I rage, um, in a, a lot of it, it goes kind of towards God, like at least in his general direction. And so the prayer is, God, I do not understand how there's a couple things I want to get done ministry-wise um, so that we can better serve people and build your kingdom. There's a couple things that I want to do with Brogan to spend time with my son, which seems like a godly investment. I want to make it possible for my wife to go and have time away and do what she needs to do, which seems in line with kingdom things. But yet, why in the heck... Would you have me here for an hour wrestling with this printer? This makes no flippin' sense. Here's all these good things, and you got me sitting here. And at the same time, I'm usually... So sometimes it's towards God, generally, and then other times it's just directly at Him. And uh, it's a serious conversation with God and saying, I don't get it, and here's what I think, and... Uh, he, I know who he is, and so I try to keep that under wraps. Um, and yet there's this paradox, because at the same time, I am ticked at Satan. And I usually have a few words for him, most of the time two. The last word is you. <laughs> and, uh, and that's how it goes. So Tuesday, this is, this is how it goes. And I'm throwing things at, uh, up, and I'm throwing things down. Um, and again, it, it's, it's hard to describe right now, but when I'm in it, it's intense. Uh, there's a lot of F-bombs, and usually it's loud and intense. And on at least a couple occasions, it has been in front of my whole family, which was a treat, right? You should see what my kids do when they hear their dad drop this F-bomb and hammer the table. It's not a good scenario. I told you you're going to lose some respect for me. Um, at the same time, I usually, God protects me. I usually don't I don't hurt anyone physically, and uh, I usually don't say anything too hurtful towards anyone. Um, he's just kept me from doing that. I recognize maybe that's too, that's going to have too deep a ramifications. And so, although I'm raging, uh, generally I kind of keep it under wraps uh, towards my wife or towards my kids or really towards anybody else. Uh, but I am certainly not acting in kindness. I am certainly not creating a safe environment for my family. I am certainly not shepherding and tending to my wife or my kids' hearts in these moments. I am creating tremendous insecurity 
I am not expressing fruits of the Spirit. I am not walking in the Spirit. I am not reflecting God. I am not reflecting the character of Christ to anybody around me. And so this is straight up sin. So here's what tends to happen. After I come down a little bit, and by that, my I'm not raging to the point of flipping out or dropping F-bombs at this point, but it's still right here, and I feel it, and it's just... It's just ready to pop. And so this is usually the time where I recognize my sin. I probably recognize it the whole time, but you know those points where you want to be angry? So I've finally gotten past that a little bit. And so even though maybe the printer's barely just starting to work, maybe it's not, I don't remember. But this is the time to confess. And so what it looks like for me is I confess to God all those things I just expressed to you, the details of what I've done wrong, and specifically where I've missed the mark, where I haven't shown Christ to my family. And usually I spend the rest of the day striving to renew my mind. And here's, here's what that looks like. One, I humble myself in an accurate position in my relationship to God. I recognize you are God, and I am not. I recognize and I spend some time at the cross. The Bible says that Jesus hung on the cross roughly six hours. And in those times, I generally try to imagine, picture, see kind of with the eyes of my soul, Christ pouring out blood on my behalf. And I always wonder, about what hour was this sin being paid for? Where Scripture says that Christ became sin, but it also says that he took on all of my sin. And so in this process, I usually think, this day, this moment, this time, I wonder when he felt this. And this is the God I just got done having some words with, right? And so that's where there's a godly sorrow. That's where there's an element of, I have to remind myself, this is a God who is for me. And this is how I've approached him. And I ought to be ashamed of that. I'm slapping my king in the face. But as soon, as soon as the Holy Spirit convicts you of sin, and as soon as confession comes, the Holy Spirit comforts you. And when you see the blood of Christ, he grabs your face and he shows you that you're forgiven. He shows you that you're safe. He knew I was doing that and he didn't die reluctantly for me. He knew Tuesday was coming. He knew those words were coming. He knew that, knew that heart posture was coming. And he went to the cross and he said, this is exactly why. And as soon as I recognize and acknowledge that, floods my heart with his grace. But again, the rest of the day is basically preaching to myself. And the truths that I had to remind myself of is, God is for me. That this is a light, momentary affliction. It will pass. My life has been bought. Most of my anger comes from when I start to possess something, when I start to possess my Tuesday mornings, when I start to possess my Saturdays, when I think they're mine, when I get entitled. That's usually when mine comes because there's a blocked expectation coming next, right? And so I have to declare to myself and preach to myself and remind myself my life is not my own. Usually I apologize to those I've sinned, so Tuesday, I had to apologize to Sherry. 
Thankfully, Brogan was the only one home Tuesday, so I had to apologize to him, but not the rest of my kids. Uh, there's a big difference between just apologizing and apologizing and asking for forgiveness. Now, they don't have to grant it, but I think you're on another level of recognizing and acknowledging that I didn't just mess up. I have sinned against God, and I have sinned against you, and I need you to forgive me. This is a great reminder to my kids that their dad, I believe I'm there to be an expression of Christ to them so that they might see what their father's like and and make an easy transfer to God the Father. But it's a great reminder to them, and I don't mind doing it at all, that your dad is just as desperate for the grace of Jesus Christ as anybody else. And so I need you to forgive me because I've sinned against you. And that will carry them and serve them far better than a perfect dad. Because I need my kids, I want my kids to know at some point they need to come to terms with their wickedness. At some point they need to come to terms with their sinful, selfish heart so that they might repent that leads to life. As well as needing them to know or desiring them to know that when, when they're looking for absolute, ultimate, unshakable security, man, I hope my kids feel incredibly secure with me. And I think that they do. But on the deepest level of their heart, and my wife as well, they need absolute, unshakable security. And I'm happy to proclaim to them, you're not getting that with me. You're getting that with God and God alone. And so you see all the beauty that can start to come from This printer not working, right? Uh, Here's how else it goes. Um, Sherry was getting ready to leave, and so I needed to remind her that I love her, that I'm for her, uh, that she's perfectly gifted for me. And this is after I said, well, the printer's been sitting there for two weeks. I thought you would maybe put it together, which she couldn't because I had my laptop at work. So it was just a stupid, you know, when you're angry, you really start to, my eyes get really good at other people's mistakes. So good, I start to make some of them up, right? So it's like, well, why didn't you put this dang thing together, kind of a thing. And so I created tremendous distance between my wife and I. And so after confession, after this process of repentance, I realized i got to find a way to bring that back together. And so it was a reminder of how much I love her. I'm for her. She's perfect for me. See you later. And she kind of, you okay? Uh, she's very, very gracious. And as she heads out... Um, I still have tremendous tension within me. I still feel angry. And I'm just praying to God that, you know, if anything goes bad, uh, I don't know how close I am to snapping again. Uh, But yet, once again, this process of spending time before the cross, it has dropped me a little bit. But you guys know, emotions go real fast. How do they come down? Real slow. And so for me, generally, this is, this is the whole night. And we go through our day, and things go okay, and we have a normal day as far as interacting as a family and having dinner and things like this. Uh, and then the kids go to bed, and we realize, okay, there's still un- discomfort, and so Sherry and I are going to have to talk. And so in that time, there's always a, how you doing? What do we need to unpack today? Um, usually I'm trying to decide and pray about how honest I am because generally there's different frustrations that have led up to this. And so is this when I say, man, 
I would love if uh, I wouldn't have to pick up after you as much as I have to pick up after the kids. Like, do I dare say this? Um, and so I try to decide what do I air and what's just me. And so a lot of it I air and, and try to air in the sense of, I don't know if this is just my state. It probably is. But here's all the different things that frustrate me. So with that, my wife is receiving some things that could be a little attacking. Not that I delivered them in an attacking way, but they're not easy to hear. And so now Sherry's doing her darndest to fight back any tears or any emotion and trying to keep it together. And so here you got a guy who's been angry, and now my wife is a little bit hurt. And so here we are, trying to come together. Usually on these nights, we aren't in the mood to have sex, right? And so depending on timing and expectation, there's another thing that can make me a little bit uneasy. Oh, great. I just blew this, too. I just blew intimacy with my wife. And this wasn't on her at all. This was totally on me. I'm not even in the mood because I'm mad. And we're good, but we're not close. So you can see how this is real stuff, right? And so now, and for the record, every once in a while, even though we're not in the mood, I, she's okayed this we decide we are going to make a declaration of our oneness by engaging in making love. And we're going to punch Satan in the teeth, even though we don't feel like it. We're going to make a declaration of our oneness. I don't feel like it. You don't feel like it. But watch this, Satan. Remember those two words? Take this. Now, Tuesday we didn't. But in a sense, in my mind, this is how the spiritual battle works, and this is how, how, we, this is how I function. This is all part of repentance, okay? Don't forget. <laughs> yeah. And then, but, but this, is the, this is the amazing part. This is the great part. So regardless of what happens, so whether we have a intimacy sexually and physically, or whether our intimacy just takes place in a tough conversation, or whether our intimacy takes place in prayer, the desire is recognizing you're one with me, and I create a distance I want to do everything I can to, to cultivate that back. With that, this is where the most incredible thing happens. I go to sleep. And I knew when I go to sleep, I didn't sleep great, but I slept okay. And I knew, and I told Sherry, when I wake up, I'm going to feel so much better. And this anger is going to be gone. And a lot of people would say, well, that's how important sleep is. Yes, sleep's important, but guess who created that? God. So when I'm sleeping, I believe that God is ministering to my heart and soul, and I'm doing nothing. This is an incredible grace. And you all know exactly what I'm talking about. You wake up in the morning, it's a new day, right? That's God. That's God ministering to my soul. That's God ministering to your soul when you are conked out. The reason I love this so much is because there is no way any of us can take credit for that. That miracle that happens in our sleep. I could dare to take credit for some of this other stuff. Well, I decided to pray. Well, I decided to ask Sherry for forgiveness. Again, that is totally God as well. But sleep is one of those that is undeniable. 
you are out, and God is ministering to me. And sure enough, I wake up. It's a new day. He has clothed me once again with his righteousness. He has clothed me once again with his love. And we get up and we march about our day. Isn't that incredible? Here's the summary. Learn humility. So when we sin, when you sin, confess to God and others if it's appropriate and needed. Be grateful and thank God for the forgiveness that he's poured out. Apologize. Seek forgiveness of others if it's needed, if you've wronged someone else. And then get up, march forward, worshiping God and loving people. Sometimes it takes an entire day and an evening. Other times that takes 30 seconds. You realize you've done something in the flesh. You confess it. Maybe it was just between you and God. You praise him for his forgiveness. You glance at the cross. You recognize you've been raised with him. And you just get going. Scripture says a righteous man falls seven times, but he gets back up again. And you just get about loving people. You get about worshiping God. That doesn't feel like condemnation, does it? But I have to have the humility to usher in that godly sorrow to allow that process to happen. Don't run from that conviction. Don't run from that godly sorrow. But really get good at recognizing Satan's shame and Satan's condemnation. Because it's hard to tell sometimes, especially if it's new. So recruit some people to help you if you need to. But that, again, is the beauty of bringing other people into If you confess your sins one to another, that's the beauty of bringing other people into this. Because your brothers and your sisters, they'll have your back, and they'll encourage you towards Christ. They'll recognize if this is shame. You can see it. A couple verses I want to end on. Second Peter 3.9, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. 1 John 3.20, For whenever our own hearts condemn us, God is greater than our hearts. David in Psalms 32.5, I acknowledge my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said I will confess my transgression to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Isaiah 55, 6 and 7. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. We go on and on and on and on with all of the verses that talk about first repentance then blessing. First repentance, then refreshment. First repentance, then love. First repentance, then mercy. Now I have mercy. I had forgiveness before I woke up Tuesday and blew it. But once I blow it and I walk through this process, I taste it and I experience it and I believe I glorify God within my heart because I recognize how wonderful and how gracious he is to me. And now I have my resume that is real. Because most of the time we hold up our resume that's good, right? Now I have the real one that has all my junk on it. 
And at that moment, I have to look at God. And at that moment, he says, come here, son. Let's deal with this and let's roll. I delight in you. That's not fitting for you. Get that stuff off. Here's what I have in store for you today. Sometimes it takes, but go to sleep first. Let's pray. Father, I don't pretend to understand, um, even though I walk through this process, I experience this process, and here I am talking about the process. Um, I, I love the fact that I don't understand so much of it. I love the fact that uh, you are working in our hearts uh, when we're totally unaware of it. You're working to bring yourself glory and honor and to sanctify us when we uh, handle our stuff in such a messy way. And it is so beautiful to me that you work on us when we sleep. And I think the reality is all of our sanctification is really like that, is you working upon us. But it is evident to us in those moments that are so undeniable that we've done nothing. And so we praise you for your grace tonight. We praise you for the cross. We praise you for the resurrection. We praise you for the fact that if we've confessed Christ, our life is hid in you. And God, I do pray that your spirit would keep moving in us to be quick to repent. And God, I do ask that if there are those here that have never took that initial recognition of their sin, that they are an enemy of God, that they have never repented that leads to life, to salvation in Christ Jesus, that you, Holy Spirit, would hound them to make them so uncomfortable that they recognize there is only one way out of that discomfort, and that's to call upon the name of the Lord. Amen.